Good morning. Christmas is right around the corner. Thanksgiving behind us. It is a great time of year as we get to the end of a uh, calendar year and we uh, celebrate Thanksgiving and in a couple weeks Christmas is around the, uh, coming up. A time to remember why we're here and that is God sending his son Jesus. So I'm excited and looking forward to celebrating that with you all coming up as we look forward to the Christmas season. I'd like to take you to back to a story in the Old Testament and a man named Jonadab. How many of you know the man named Jonadab? Uh, some hands shaky, okay. Maybe we should have a little class and tell me some things about Jonadab. He was the, from the group of people called the Rechabites. And he saw, he looked around at what the Israelites were doing and he was concerned with the trajectory that they were headed. So he pulled all his sons together and he said, sons, I want you to commit to me not to drink wine. And I want you to till land and have a vineyard of grapes. So you're tempted to drink wine. And I don't want you to build houses. I want you to live in tents so you can move easily. So as a dad, pulled his sons together. Dads, do you ever do that to your children? Son, daughter, I want you to do this. I have as a dad. This is what Jonadab did to his sons. Let's move forward to the time of Jeremiah hundreds of years later, after that command to his sons. God comes to Jeremiah and he says, hey, Jeremiah, call the Rechabites together, the sons of Jonadab, and put some wine in front of them and see if they drink. So Jeremiah called in the Rechabites, the sons, and they sat around the table and he had wine sitting before them. And it's almost in one voice they said, no, our father way back told us not to drink wine. And so we have stuck to that commandment for these hundreds of years. And we haven't built a vineyard, we haven't tilled up soil, and we've lived in tents so that we can move around. This commandment that Jonadab had given his sons lived on for hundreds of years. As a father, as I look at my children growing up, my goal for them is that hundreds of years from now, my descendants, if God grants life that long, would continue to be lovers of God. Now, how was that simple commandment passed down generation to generation and carried through? He could have written it off as, oh, that was grandpa back in the day. A little wine is good for the stomach's sake. Something stuck with those boys. I don't know what Jonadab did, and that's a story I want to dig into further. I don't know how he ordered his life and his family that his commandment stuck with them for hundreds of years. But that is my goal for my family. That's a picture I have for my family. That the things I live out would be carried on for generations. I'm sticking my head out, my neck out on a limb here. And 
showing my artistic skills. I told Ruthie, I came up here and drew it after Sunday school. I said, Ruthie, you should have, after you see the tree, you're probably going to wish you would have come up here and drew it yourself. But we have a, a tree. Now, instead of uh, Im- imagining my tree, imagine a beautiful tree you've seen. Maybe you have one on your property. Magnificent tree that takes hundreds of years to get to that place. They say when you plant a tree, you don't plant it for yourself. You plant it for the next people because it takes a while to grow. So as we think about a tree, what did it come from? It came from a little seed. But in that seed was the entire DNA that the tree needed to grow. Yes, it needed the nourishment to continue to blossom. But in that little seed, and over years, it grows into a beautiful tree. And we see the outworkings of it. The leaves, the fall comes along, they change colors, the leaves fall off, springtime come, and it blossoms again. But what we don't see is beneath the ground, what do we have? The roots. Did you ever try digging up a big tree? Normally you chop them down and then you take, get rid of the stump. But if you ever try to get rid of, and some trees are worse than others, the roots that go out, it's amazing how far those roots can go. But beneath the soil those roots are is what holds the tree up. And this is an illustration that was a picture that was given to me recently. And I would like to symbolize the tree to, may I call it a, a person or, yeah, a person. Our children maybe, a family. And what we see out top is the way of life. It's the what we do and the how we do it. That's what we see. We see people and we see what they do and we see how they do it. Sometimes it's kind, sometimes it's not. What causes the way of life, what we do and how we do it, is determined by our beliefs and our values. So what we believe and what we value is what brings about our way of life, what we do and how we do it. But at the roots, what determines our values? What, where do we get our values from? And this is going to be the premise of my message this morning. And that is four things I would like to look at that I think determines what we believe and what we value. And first of all, that is stories and heroes. Uh, you ever hear a child say, I want to be like so-and-so? Our heroes, the people we look up to, determine what we, wa- what we value. Then we have text and song. This is what I'm going to call it. And that has to do with what we read, what we listen to, the songs that we sing, speak to what we value. Then we have symbols and images. 
what do we picture? Or what do we vision in life? What do we see? And then we have our practices and our rituals. Or in other words, what are the traditions that we continue to do? All speak to what we value and what we believe. And this morning, I've entitled the message, Why Family? It's going to be the conclusion of my Asking Why, my Why series. As we look at a family and children and what they can become, I want us to think about the roots this morning. If you can read my penmanship. Stories, heroes, texts and songs, symbols and images, practices and rituals affect what people, our family values, which affects the way we do life. And so as families this morning, I want us to think about these things as we determine why family is important. So I sat down and I counted how many families are here at Myerstown. 31 is what I came up with. At least 31 families with children 18 and younger. There's other families too, a bunch of grandparents. 31 families. I forget how many, I know I counted the children before. 70 some I think. Wow. So why do we have family? I'd love to open it up for discussion. Why family? Why do families exist? And to keep up with the tradition of asking why, we're going to look at what God says. We're going to give, look at a brief history lesson of what people have done. We're going to look at what we see in family today. And then we're going to get a vision of family going forward. Why family is what I asked this morning. And I want to see family as a small battalion soldier training, so we create a biblical foundation for growth. I want us to see family as a small battalion of soldier training, so we can create a foundation for growth. And now you might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I don't have a family. These principles apply to the family of, of church as well. Grandparents, these things we need you to speak into us young families at the foundations that we're creating for our families. So come with me, please. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. So what does God say about family? Why do families exist? In Genesis chapter 1, we have creation. And we have God uh, getting to the end of creation at the end of chapter 1. And he says, you know what? I need somebody in my image. So he created Adam. And then we transition to chapter 2. And he says, um, whoa. He watches Adam working in the garden. And he says, Adam needs somebody to be with him. He needs a help meet. So in Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. And so out of the ground, verse 19, God forms uh, every beast of the field, and Adam called them uh, all by name, and then jumping down to verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib, which the Lord had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought him 
brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, here we have God's premise for family. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Here we have God creating male and female and he says, all right, as they get older, you're going to have the man leaving his family. You're going to have the woman leaving her family and they're going to come together and they're going to become one. Speaking of a marriage union. So right from the get-go, God created family. And he says, why are you guys getting together? What's the purpose of this? Back in chapter one, it says, uh, in verse 28, and God blessed them. This is right after he said he created male and female. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So God formed marriage, a marriage union, one man, one woman, to come together, to leave their families, to create a new family unit, to have children, to raise them up in the image of God. We are in the, made in the image of God. Therefore, God intended for these little souls, these children, to grow up to want to glorify the image of God. So there we have the family units right from the get-go. That's what God says. Turn with me to Psalm 127. Again, we're looking at what God says about the family units. Why does family exist? Psalm 127. Verse 5. Here it's speaking, except the Lord build the house. And then it's speaking that children are uh, a heritage from the Lord. We're going to circle back to that verse next. But verse 5 says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So we hear this verse speaking of children. And it says, Happy is the man, happy is the family that hath his quiver full of them. So what is a cool, uh, full quiver? That's not for us to determine. God's in control of that. But God says people are supposed to multiply. Families are supposed to multiply. They're supposed to have their quiver full of them. Deuteronomy 8.1 says multiply. Psalms 107 says families like a flock. Maybe we should have flocks of families. The point of this, God is saying he wants children. Families are to have children continue on what else does God say back up to verse 3 Psalm 127 verse 3 lo children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward children are a heritage of the Lord they're a gift from God children entering to a family are a gift they're not expected God allows some families not to have children. But when the children come into a family, when God allows that, he says it's a gift. So we as parents, when we receive the children, we should receive it as a gift. Luke 9 uh, verse 46 says, those of you who receives a child, receives me. So as families, when we receive a child into our homes, it's like receiving God, is what he's saying in, in Luke. Verse 4 And Psalm 127 here, sticking with me, says, As the arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Now, we entered rifle season. Um, Archery season is past. When I think about archery hunting, what does an archer do? 
And we don't know anything about archery hunting these days. If you would go back to when the real bows and arrows came out. They took care of those arrows. They made them straight. They prepared them. They put immense time into preparing those arrows to send them straight to their targets. Arrows were not meant to be kept in the quiver. They were meant to be shot. In that same way as we think about children, they're giving as a gift. Meant to be nurtured and cared for. To be shot out. And sent wherever God wants. So we see here. God created the family unit right at creation. One man, one woman. He says we're supposed to multiply. He says we're supposed to, uh, the children are a gift. They're a heritage. Turn with me now to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says... Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 29, 15 also says, a child left to himself brings his mother shame. Another part of a family, why God intended family was to train and to nurture the children. All humans are born with a sin nature. Therefore, they need to be trained into what is godly. And how to love God and serve others. So a purpose of family, therefore, is to train. And something uh, uh, almost hidden I see in this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. At a very young age, the roots that we set for our children will affect him when he is an old man. Is what this verse says. So training at a young age is very important, is what God says. That's what we're looking at. What does God say about family? And our last verse on what God says about family, turn back to Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 13. Psalm 103, 13. And God says here, Like as a father pitieth his children... So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Lord, The Lord disciplines like your father. Here I see that a purpose of a family is as parents to give our children a picture of who God is. Now as a dad and mom, would you have the courage to say, Child, the way I'm treating you is how God treats me. I thought about that, and that put a sense of responsibility. The way you treat your children is giving them an image of who God is. They correlate that. So another purpose of family that I see here, as God is saying, the same way that a father takes care of his child, the same way a father disciplines his child, is how the Lord deals with us. And so we as parents work dealing with our children, training them, nurturing them, is giving them insight into how God Treats us. So, in a sense, we are modeling Christ. Val Yoder said, God risks his reputation with parents as we train and nurture our children. So, that's what God says. God says he wants a family unit. He says we're supposed to have children. He says they're a gift. We're supposed to train and nurture them as we model Christ in that. So, that's what God says. Now, history lesson what did people do? Looking back to the Bible times, 
if we start in the Old Testament, we see a patriarchal family. Look back to Noah and Abraham. They led their families as a, in a, a, a very leadership style. Um, they, they raised their families after the commandments of God. Look back and go back to Abraham especially. God calls out Abraham and says, he's a man to look at because he set his family in the order that God wanted. So back in the Bible times, we have Noah and Abraham to look at as examples and many other examples through the Old Testament. I'm not going to take time to look at all of them. Then we see some unfortunate circumstances in Jacob. He had a favorite. How did that play out? Fast forward out of the Bible times, we're going to transition into the medieval times. What did family life look like back in the 1000s? Family life back then was harsh. They had a limited diet. There was little comfort. Women were subordinate to men. Men were definitely in control of the family, and women were considered to be under them. That's what the family structure took shape back in the medieval times, off from about 500 A.D. to 1500 A.D. And they worked to eat. They tilled the land. And then we transitioned in into the agricultural era. And again, we're not going to spend much time in this history lesson on what families looked like. But from the 1500s to the 1700s in America, we have large families, if you look back. And what did they do? They farmed. That's all they did. The whole family was needed to survive. They were out in the fields working. They were raising the, the, the crops so that they could eat and they could survive together. There was no paycheck. They worked for survival. They needed the whole family. There was a high mortality rate during this time. This all affected, the reason I'm saying these, these things, it all affected how the families worked together. They all needed together. They were in close community. They weren't going out by themselves doing their own thing because they wouldn't survive that way. You often married with the people in the small community around you. And you made it work. That is how family life looked in the 1500s to 1700s. Then we move into the 18 and 1900s and the industrialism movements or time started. It started over in Europe and then transitioned to America. This was a time of change. So now no longer do we have families working on the farm. As the more technology came along, the, the industry movement, the factories started up. And now instead of uh, farming, families gave up their farms and dads went off to the factories to work. Children shifted from economic contributors, so now no longer were they needed in the fields, but they shifted to economic burdens. So the dad was at work, he had to make enough money to supply for the needs of the family. Men became breadwinners, distant from the family, because they had to put long hours in at the factory, and women were homemakers. Family life became more private during this time. There was less community celebration. There wasn't as much working together as there was back on the farms. It became a site of consumerism, more of a site of consumerism or using things up rather than production. And what do we have in the beginning of the 1900s? We had the world wars come about. Men went to war, 
many ladies and children went to the factories. And this changed, the reason I'm saying this, it changed the dynamics of how families interacted and lived together. The family unit was broken up. And again, this is not across the board, but this is a common trend during this era. Then we have, after the World Wars, we have the economic boom. The middle of the 1900s, times were prosperous after the Great Depression. And then we enter another time period in the later 1900s and to the present. Now automation and technology took over and shifted away from manual labor. We needed less manual labor and more operating computers, if I can say it that way. The service industry took over. So because dads were away at, at, at work, um, specific careers took up. So now we have uh, the different parts of a house. You have your, your heating and cooling system. You have your electricity that came about in the 1900s. You have all these different things that are needed in a home. And so now we have the service industry where dads are fulfilling those jobs. Not wrong, just different. It was a change from the farming agricultural uh, aspect that many were used to. In the late 1900s, a feminism movement started. They said, ladies started, were, were, were stuck at home, and they said, we're stuck at home, we got to take care of the children, we deserve to be out and about right like our husbands. And over this time, ladies entered the workforce more than ever before. Single parent households increased, non-marital births increased. So now we have dual income provi uh, providers and we have careers that are needed, that are sought after. And that brings us up to the present. And so that's a quick history lesson. And the reason I say that is if you look back, culture or what happened around greatly affected family life. We had the dads being pulled out of the house to go to work. And it created a change, a shift that separated the family unit that used to be there. And again, not bad, but it affected how families interacted together. So that's a history lesson of families over time. Dads and moms, what they had to, where they had to focus their time. And that does not do it justice. We could dig deeper. That's what people did. Where are we at today? And as we think about where family life is at today, the, the history lesson I gave is more a generic approach of culture around us. Where I see us today is at a good place in the fact that the history lesson I gave was not very accurate of our Anabaptist community. We held to the family tradition. Today there is still many uh, farmers, not as many as there used to be, but in the Anabaptist community, there still is, we value that agricultural industry. The family structure is sticking together there. I see us holding to the family value of one man, one woman. We're holding to that, so we're at a good place. We did not succumb to the other cultural practices around us, which is biblical. I also see us holding value to our children. So I see families valuing the child and where they will become. So as I look at family life today, we're at a good place. 
Because I think we're valuing the family and the importance of it. As I see other things, the family at families at large, I see us, while I see us at a good place, I see us also affected by the culture in that dads are disconnected from the family by their work. It's easy to spend a lot of time at work. I say that as a dad. I see more mothers working. As I look at the family structure today, there's a lot more mothers working today than there used to be. And it's an aspect that pulls us away from moms being the homemakers and caring for the children. Another thing I see is going everywhere, a lot of places to go. We have a lot of affluence and we have a lot of opportunities, a lot of places to travel, a lot of things to do. And I see families doing a lot more things than the past. Again, I'm saying this is what I see in families today. I see smaller families. I see uh, riding the cultural norms more than in the past. I see families today trying to dabble with the cultural trends around us. That's what I see. I see shifting values. As I look at the family life today, I see that the values, the things that, that uh, hold up our values are changing. The stories and the heroes, I hear a lot more sports talk and movie uh, quotes coming out. I hear that in our families. The songs and the texts that get us excited, I have questions about. The symbols and images, the things that we want are shifting. The practices and the rituals, the things that we hold important are shifting. And so I say that as I see a change in our family structure today. And where is it in your family? I also see... Uh, a shift in modeling Christ. So I said a, a reason for family is that we model Christ to our children. Children need to see parents submitting to someone else. Do you know that is powerful to a child? When there is something you don't agree with as a parent, and yet you submit to it, when it doesn't go against the Bible, when it's something small, and you submit to that, wow, that speaks volumes to your children. And I'm starting to see a shift away from that. Parents, your children need to see you submit to us, someone else. Therefore, they will have a quicker tendency to submit to you and the authority that they face in life. So those are some things I see in family life, and we could spend a lot more time. Where I get excited about is where to go. As we think about families, why family is important. We saw why God said it is. We did a quick history lesson of what affected family life. I hope I gave you some things to consider as we look at where family life is today. Now, where to go? As we think about our families, where should we, go, where should we be going? We need to be thankful for our heritage, I think is, it is important. And now, dads and moms, the reason I put this uh, illustration up here is I want us to think about this. The things that we hold important, the things that we do, Point to our students, what we, our children, what we value. And so now, as parents, I think we need to draw what we want our family to look like. What do you want our family to look like? 
And if you're not, if you're, if you're not married or you're about to be married or you're a grandparent, you can do this as well as you think about your life. The things, what are the roots, the foundations that are pointing to what you value? Think about the tree roots. Is church attendance important? Or what do we hold more important when we're deciding the activities to do? The symbols and the images. What drives us? Oh, back to here, practices and rituals. Having a way of a mission for your family, a a routine thing that you do as a family, whether it be going into a halfway house to deliver Christmas cookies or once a year doing Christmas boxes to send off to Operation Christmas Child. Those are practices and rituals that speak volumes to what your family values. My point is this, the songs that we listen to, are we okay to dabble in this and that? The movies, the heroes, the people we hold important shape what we value and what we believe. Families, picture what it can be and then put time in to build that, to build that into your family life. Who and what you expose your children to will shape who they become and what they believe. We can't force our children to love God, but we can expose them to people and experiences that increase the likelihood of spiritual growth. Let me say that again. We can't force our children to love God. We can't crack them over the head and say, you've got to love God. That's impossible. That's not what God does to us. It's a choice. But parents, we can be very influential in what we expose them to, to increase the likelihood for spiritual growth. Going back to my last sermon, we are trying to cultivate a love for God and a service to others. I'm convinced that should be our focus. And as we think about that, families, churches, and schools are integral in that. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, love the Lord your God with all your, say it, heart, soul, and mind, is how Matthew 22 says it. I think... As I conclude this Y series, I think we have this triangle, heart, soul, and mind, aspects of a human. I think the heart is where the families can focus on. The heart is what we love. What we love and value is affected by families in what we do. And then we have the mind. The school brings in learning. And I'm not talking about the school, it can be homeschool, the train, I'm not just associating it to the school, but learning in general in the school. If the school is bringing in education as a way to love God and serve others, and if the church is focused on the souls of its people, we have this perfect triangle with God at the center, focusing us to love God and serve others. I think it's important, and I think it's something that we need to care deeply about. When our families, our schools, and our churches are all pointing to a love for God and a service to others, I'm convinced that's when we can be successful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the many families gathered here. Thank you for the heritage that you've given us. And I pray that we as parents would take seriously this responsibility of creating families and family structures that affect good values 
and beliefs that will in turn affect what we do and how we do life. I pray that you would bless us with your understanding and your wisdom as we direct our families and the people around us to love you and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen. Could have a song, please, Demetrius. You can turn in your Christian hymnal 491. O Father, lead us, 491 in the Christian hymnal. God bless you as you head off into the week. I did want to say uh, Val Yoder was at Waterworks, oh, now I forget, back in the spring. And I did record his series on, it was uh, targeted on family life. And so if you're interested in that amazing, helpful resource as for parents to think about their families. So contact me if you're interested in, in that resource. Let's all stand. I'm going to be standing at the back today, but I'm going to admit shaking hands, got a little uh, cold going on. So bless you as you go into your week. Love God, serve others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to go with us. Thank you for the time that we can spend here together this morning, my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would give us a love for you and a desire to serve others. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his exceeding, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.
You are dismissed. <laughs>